windows. The Bucks got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. These Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys. Under Mosquera, Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Nook is spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bellow. He's going to make Sports Center with an incredible. Jarvis Jones, the game winner, got it. Ball game. East Tennessee State's going to leave on another. They got him. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown, Jawan Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. Who in the blue hell are you? You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scruff. And you still have no talent. It's Sandos and the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. I can't wait for the next show when I'm actually in the studio, hopefully Monday, and then that way I can give you 
beautiful recap of everything that was uh, great and terrible at the same time. Well, let me tell you, I hope that you spend the next three days doing nothing but crunches and this diet continues because you may come back as a lean, mean wrecking machine. And Jay Santos down around like 170, 175, actually will not ever scuff another drive at Johnson City Country Club on the 18th hole when his team is in position to win and ends up in the 17th bunker. This could be a whole new you, but I suppose I also won't hold my breath for uh, those happenings over the next uh, 72 hours. Speaking of 72 hours, uh, that's about where we're at, uh, where ETSU will take on Delaware State at William B. Green Jr. Stadium, a little less than that, delivering this to you on a Thursday morning. And talked with head coach Randy Sanders last night, Jay, and I know you listened in. My favorite part of the show was when we did a little reminiscing on 1990, or I should say uh, 2017, not 1997, on 2017, when Florida State, where Randy Sanders was at the time, took on Delaware State, and the Seminoles put up a first-half record in points for their program, and Kenny Carter, who was the head coach at the time, chases down Coach Sanders. Jimbo Fisher was off doing a TV interview for uh, the broadcast crew or whatever the case may have been, and Coach Sanders feels a tap on the shoulder, turns around, Kenny Carter says, hey, you know, this one's pretty out of hand. Uh, What do you think about doing 10-minute quarters in the second half? Something I had absolutely never heard of, and as the final ended up being 77-6, to they would only play... 50 minutes that day, and it was, I don't want to call it a domino effect because there were things that were in motion long before that game happened, but you look at the programs and their makeup about two months down the road, Jimbo Fisher had left to take the Texas A&M job. Coach Carter, who Coach Sanders said knew he was fired going into the game, essentially. He was indeed let go by Delaware State after that game. Uh, A month later, Coach Sanders arrives in Johnson City, and two months later, head Coach Rod Milstead, former NFL lineman, uh, who we talked about uh, on the top of the show and we'll also talk to in segment number two, he takes over at Delaware State. So, again, not so much a domino effect because I'm not sure how much of that game led to everything that went on, but certainly over those next two months, uh, it was kind of a rebirth and um, definitely a changing of scenery for a number of people, including those programs themselves. I think, I, I, I think what you said there was we need to give Delaware State a thank you note for giving us Randy Sanders. That was <laughs> summation of everything you just said, is that what I got gathered? Um, I had actually heard one other time of that happening. South Carolina State was playing Clemson and Clemson zapped us. I mean, it was you know, 60-something to nothing at halftime, and they had did the same thing and shortened the game. That's the only other time I have heard of that scenario, and good to know, I, I guess, in case teams go into places and just outmatched, and you know, that is an interesting quirkiness of the rule. I'm just wondering who knew that, well, you can't change the running clock, right? In high school, they got the running clock. You know, the game gets out of hand, I think, 35 points or more uh, in the second half. I think you can, you know, just agree to do the running clock and speed things along. But it was interesting to hear you can't do that, but you can negotiate the time. So I, I'm just wondering who in the world knew that rule going into it. Or, or do you think somebody looks that up? It's like, hey, we got to play Team X. Um, I think we should look and see what the uh, mercy rules are. <laughs> like, I just I find that part of it funny. But it, it, I enjoyed a little bit more of the conversation because you dove a little deeper on what took him so long to be a head coach. And I found his answers, to be honest, and fascinating. And, you know, some of it was part of the country. Some of it was money. Some of it was timing and just a little bit of everything. And it just, you know, kind of worked out that way. But sort of that steamroll effect of what you just said led to Coach coming and then 2018 winning the championship ride. And certainly you look at his record everywhere he's been. Coach has proven to be a winner. He's proven, you know, to uh, have offenses that, that spit out a lot of points. And 
the only thing that uh, he's still winning, that he's just not spending out a lot of points. And so he's got a chance, I think, to spin out a lot of points this year. I think it's going to start with this game at Delaware or with Delaware State. And Delaware State's got some holes defensively. I think ETSU can certainly take advantage of. And offensively, they got a little bit of a dynamic quarterback, but I just think the Billy Taylor scheme, unless Delaware State changes what they want to do offensively from the first couple of games, is going to play right in the hands of ETSU. If they come out ready to go, I feel like this is going to be a, a situation where ETSU could have a similar score to what they had against UVA Wise. Well, let's set the standard here because Coach Sanders, Sanders last night did say that people have been telling him, oh, well, you're going to be 3-0, and and it's a foregone conclusion. There's no way you don't win. Of course, a head coach is never going to hear that kind of talk. But just so everyone is aware, 34-game road losing streak for Delaware State was snapped this spring against Howard, and that was, in fact, their last road game. So it is a little ominous that they won their last road game after losing the previous 34, but won in 34 in their last 35 road games. Okay, haven't won a Division One non-conference game in almost a decade. That's since 2012. So... While Coach Sanders isn't going to entertain the thought of we can just show up and win, I mean, that's what Vanderbilt tried to do, right, a couple of weeks back, and that didn't go very well for them. Coach Sanders is somebody to keep everyone's head on straight, make sure everyone is going into the game completely level uh, across the board, not getting too high, too low, go play the game. You only got so many opportunities, so on and so forth. We hear him talk about it all the time. But there should be a victory after all is said and done for ETSU if they are the team that we think that they are going to be this year. That would be their first 3-0 start since 1999. They've got the Southern Conference Offensive Player of the Week in Jacob Saylor, second most career combined yards for him last game um, against uh, UVA Wise. Uh, he's number one in the ETSU record books and yards per carry. He's next to a man in Quay Holmes that's number two or going to be number two after he gains eight yards on Saturday on the career list for rushing for ETSU and while there is some size, and Coach Sanders talked about this, there is some size on each line, and it's a veteran offensive line, a couple of seniors, a couple of redshirt juniors. Uh, there's also a freshman mixed in there at right guard, but uh, he's, uh, I think, 315 pounds, so he's got some size as well. There is some size there. I think ETSU in the front seven is just going to out-athlete, especially with the fact that they are expecting back at least two or three of those that have missed um, either the first couple of games or in Donovan Manuel's case, he's going to miss the first half because of the targeting injection from last week. Uh, they're going to have people back on that side of the ball. Up front, you know, Traymond Shorts, Fred Norman, you know, Joe Schreiber, all of the linemen for ETSU, yeah, they're going to face some large gentlemen uh, that have collected nine sacks, as a matter of fact. The defense, nine sacks, and they've also got five interceptions. That scares me a little bit, sure. But Georgetown, non-scholarship, right, and you also have uh, Bowie State on their schedule already, and so the results I, I don't think you can really say a lot about um, in terms of what they're going to present on uh, Saturday at William B. Green Jr. Stadium. But while there are some things to look at on Delaware State side of the ball, this to me looks like, I guess you'd say, uh, UVA-wise plus. You know, like it's a, yes, Division One team, FCS team, but Delaware State across the board generally is one of the worst athletic programs at the Division One level. No offense to them, just looking at their statistics, their results across sports. When you see Delaware State on your schedule, it generally ends in the right way for you. Well, he's played him a couple times in basketball, and it's obviously gone the Bucks away by quite a bit. Um, and, of course, different sport. You know, that Georgetown, uh, the most interesting part of watching that game was Mark Brunel's son was the quarterback for the Georgetown Hoyas. I enjoyed getting many references to uh, Mark Brunel, who was a 19-year bet of the NFL. But what really turned that game 
was a bad turnover. I mean, Delaware State was rolling, was up 14 nothing. They had the ball at midfield with about 40, I think, seven seconds to go in the half. And then just a horrific decision and a turnover on an interception. And Georgetown was able, from that point on, just take the momentum away. And then here's where I think the biggest issue for Delaware State is, is special teams. In overtime, they had a field goal blocked. Georgetown was able to score and ended in overtime, but they only averaged like 30 yards a punt. They don't particularly kick the ball deep on kickoffs. The coverage isn't very good. I mean, they just the, the punting, the, the field goal, just everything is not very good in the special teams game. And I really think ETSU is going to take uh, big advantage of just flipping the field a lot. Might even be able to create a turnover. Might even be able to score a touchdown in this game on special teams. And I think on top of ETSU front seven defensively and offensive line versus their defensive line, I think has a huge advantage. I think the special teams is ultimately going to be the thing that can really make the game uh, swing out of hand for ETSU. Now, it depends. Does ETSU come out like the first three series against UVA-wise, maybe not respect their opponent as much as they should, or do they come out like they did against Vanderbilt? If they come out like they did against Vanderbilt, then yes, ETSU will be 3-0. They'll be able to roll. If you let a team hang around, now they do have some athletes on the back end. Certainly their quarterback is talented. Run game's a little lacking, but put, you know, if you let a team hang around for a while, certainly they can get some confidence. But I just feel like, especially in the special teams realm, ETSU is going to be able to do some things there that's really going to swing field position and momentum in their way. Interesting you should bring up special teams. Delaware State was actually able to block three kicks against Bowie State, but as you mentioned, I think they've had a couple of block themselves at ETSU on their side, and I don't think I really need to keep this information quiet or anything because at the end of the day, if somebody that kicks the ball is somebody that kicks the ball, you wouldn't change anything schematically based on this information, but Nate Brackett is going to take over for uh, Garrett Taylor at the punter position, and so you never know what's going to go on there. Um, when you've got someone that's getting their first extensive collegiate action, you know how is he going to respond as a freshman. So Nate Brackett's going to do the punt team. Obviously, Tyler Keltner is a tremendous kicker. Um, Coach Sanders didn't want to talk about the execution of that onside kick that the Bucks tried last week too much last night, uh, but he trusts Tyler Keltner from distance. You know, I think the one thing that can keep Delaware State around is if ETSU has to settle for field goals instead of getting touchdowns. And that's something that they didn't have to do against UVA-wise. couple for Quay Holmes, couple for Jacob Sailors. It was out of hand in the first half, and Coach Sanders basically said, yeah, you know, early third quarter, I figured this one was pretty much over. We had it in the bag. I can go ahead and go to some other players that were on our bench and get them some time, and hopefully that benefits them down the road. Uh, when it comes to the offensive and defensive side for Delaware State, the running game I don't think is up to the level they would have wanted it to be through two games, but Sabian Wilkerson is an impressive back. He's 5'9", 205, his second year starting, he's still just a freshman, and uh, when you hear our conversation with Coach Milstead here in you know, five, ten minutes, he's going to talk about how, much like a lineman would think, it all does start up front, and they want to run the ball. They want to gain five, six yards per carry, and Wilkerson's about four and a half, five yards a carry on his career, so I think they believe in him, and I think they believe in that offensive line. Uh, when it comes to receivers on the outside, and they don't throw it a ton, uh, at least they haven't so far, but Trey Gross, he's the size, 6'4", 210 pounds, and uh, Coach Sanders last night in the coach show said they are bigger. That's the one thing that jumps off the page. They are a lot bigger than they were. They're a better program with better athletes and are going to be able to contend with higher level teams better than they did against Florida State, and 
2017, 6'4", 210 pounds for Trey Gross. He had nearly half the receiving yards in the spring. And keep in mind, Jay, size did hurt ETSU a bit last week at the wide receiver position. Now, what the Bucks did so impressively was they kept everything underneath. I think the yards per attempt for London Redwine was only like five or five and a half, which is extremely low. But Devin Hextall did have ten catches and two touchdowns at six foot six, and that's something that I think that Delaware State can exploit a bit. Size mismatches in their favor at certain positions, and uh, even in the defensive secondary, I've seen a couple of defensive backs, one's six foot four, and there's a couple of others that are six feet or above. So I think they're going to be able to contend when it comes to not at every position. But when it comes to athleticism and uh, a little bit with size, it looks like here and there they're going to be able to contend. I think what will be the separator here will be what I think Coach Sanders and all good football coaches pride themselves on. Are their players doing the fundamental things, the technique-driven things that separate the really good athletes from the really good football players? And I think the Buccaneers, over their seven years as being a program, in 2015, you know, they didn't have a lot of either, right? They didn't have a lot of size. They didn't have a lot of athletes. They didn't have a lot of people that did technique very well. And then, you know, technique probably came along maybe a bit earlier than size. And then you started to get some size. And then you started to get some athletes. And I think they're just starting to arrive, you know, at the wide receiver position, obviously. They're still trying to, I think, solidify things at the quarterback position and have that one truly great quarterback uh, that doesn't seem like that they've had yet in their program. Of course, Austin Herring did some things. He'd be the first one to tell you that statistically he was pretty average. Tyler Idell is smaller, but really coming along. They haven't had that one difference maker, though. So to summate everything for you here, I think that ETSU is going to be the better football team. There may be some good matchups athletically, but the Buccaneers, it seems hard to imagine that they wouldn't be at every position on the field just technically more sound, and I think that may be an issue for Delaware State. I think environment as well. I mean, just watching the the games that they've been able to play at home with you know, not a lot of fanfare and you know playing not in front of a you know big crowds. I think if ETSU has a crowd that we're expecting to be similar uh, in size and capacity at Green Stadium, I think certainly that will play an effect and intimidate a little bit. I think that will give ETSU a little bit of extra juice, especially early in the game. And I just feel like ETSU will score a few early. I, I think it's going to be tough for Delaware State. I think Delaware State will just, you know, basically just be like a boxer that can hang around the late rounds and see if you can give a puncher's chance, you know, for a big knockout blow late. But if ETSU is able just to sort of step on them early, then I think, you know, this, this game could, could get out of hand. Now, the back end, I think you're right. I, you know, I said that a little bit earlier, but the, the back end of their defense, they've definitely got some talented guys. You know, they've been able to blitz the quarterback some, but they're not facing offensive line like ETSU yet. And I think if they have trouble getting pressure on the quarterback, then that back end will be like any back end. They'll have a hard time uh, guarding some folks. And certainly, I kind of look forward to the matchup for me to watch will be sort of the wide receivers. PTSU versus their defense and secondary because I think that's probably uh, the most apples apples um, kind of matchup you can get. I think everywhere else, for the most part, ETSU um, has an advantage in, in almost all the other groupings. But, you know, like I said, I think if the crowd gets going, ETSU can get some first downs, get some touchdowns, you know, not turn the ball over. They've been great at forcing turnovers if the defense is able to to do a few things there. Then, like I've already mentioned, special teams, if ETSU doesn't make a mistake with special teams, then I believe, you know, the kicker, the punter, everything. 
think you've nailed it with special teams. That seems like the one thing that's going to stand out really on both sides of the ball in kind of every facet, kickoff, return, punt. Uh, that really could be a game changer more this week, um, I think, than any other week you may see this season. Okay, hold on for me, Jay. We'll see you in bold predictions, but I've got a couple of interviews coming up next. It's head coach Rod Milstead of Delaware State. He's in his fourth season with the Hornets back at his alma mater. He talks about in this interview a number of things, but does say that it's a dream come true to be able to be back. He even wanted to do so uh, during his playing career. He talked about um, being back at Delaware State one day and leading the program and trying to bring them to the level that the program was at when he was there. So he's back, and he's with us next here on Sidekick and the Sandos Week on Sandos and the Sidekick on the Buccaneer Sports Network. You'd be amazed to learn what one Tennessee lottery ticket can lead to. For you, it could be lucky, but for others, it could open the door to so much more. With more than $6 billion raised for education, the Tennessee Lottery has proudly funded over 1.5 million scholarships and grants. That means, on average, more than 130,000 Tennesseans every year continue their education just because you played. The Tennessee Education Lottery, game-changing, education-benefiting fun. continuing next segment what we're doing here in segment two of the show is something we haven't done so far this year we are joined by a head coach of an opposing program facing the Buccaneers on Saturday but a couple of days ahead of time head coach Rod Milstead of Delaware State nice enough to be gracious with his time go out of his way to break down the game a little bit from his perspective a little background on coach Milstead his history with Delaware State actually predates when he was hired in 2018 by about 30 years coach Milstead one of the greatest players in program history was on the offensive line from 1988 to 1991 for the Hornets before going on to the NFL for nearly a decade after being drafted by the Dallas Cowboys. He'd go on to play for the Cleveland Browns, San Francisco 49ers, and then the Washington Redskins at the time, the Washington football team, now winner of a Super Bowl with the 49ers in 1995. Coach, welcome. Thank you so much for being flexible and joining us here today. Thank you for having me. So let's pick up there, Coach. You have a long and successful playing career, transition to coaching at the turn of the century. You've had some various stops at the high school and college level, level over the last 20 years. This year, fourth year being back at Delaware State. How would you characterize these four seasons back at your alma mater? Uh, it's, 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 been a, it's been a ride uh, to uh, come back to Delaware State and be, uh, be the head coach is something that uh, was a dream of mine a long time ago, probably when I was – playing here I had made the statement that one day I'd like to come back and be the head coach and uh, uh, just just being blessed uh, building this program back up to where it was when uh, when I was here as a player is, is the mission that I'm on. From the outside looking in coach it appears one of the big strengths for you as a head coach would be the ability to draw on your playing days and let these kids know what it takes to have success at the highest level and I'm even talking before you went on to the NFL I read a note that said you never missed a game or a practice at Delaware State in your playing days. How do you communicate those experiences that you've had at those highest levels at the collegiate and NFL level with your kids in a way that they can use to apply to themselves? Well, the biggest thing is uh, to, 
to, to speak to them about preparation and keeping your body in the best shape possible. That was something that I prided myself into. Football for me was, was year-round. It wasn't just a certain period of time. Uh, I knew that in order for me to be uh, the best player on the field, that I had to maintain my body at a high level all the time. Even in the offseason, I would continue to work out, not as, as hard as I would you know, uh, getting ready for football, but just keeping it up to par so that I wouldn't have to go back and, and rebuild from, crowd, from ground zero. And I'd always pick up at a, at a high level and then take it to another level. So preparation was the biggest thing. Uh, being a student of the game is what I, I try to uh, teach our kids these days, uh, watching film, uh, knowing their opponent, uh, not just watching film for entertainment, but actually watching it, studying it, breaking it down, and then treating it as, as if it's a college course, uh, learning the game that way and seeing all the intricate parts that can help you become successful. So it's been a challenge, uh, but uh, every day to me is a holiday. I couldn't believe that note when I read it, especially as an offensive lineman. I mean, that seems incredible over a four-year period to never miss a practice. A game's one thing, but day in, day out to show up. Obviously, one of the big reasons for your success. And let's talk about your team this year, Coach. A win over Division Two Bowie State week one. A tough loss to Georgetown in week two in overtime when you had a field goal block, the Hoyas scoring a touchdown to end it in that first overtime. On the offensive side of the ball, it looks like we'll see a lot of run. Who are your standouts on that side that you need to have perform well in order to have the success that you're hoping? Well, we need to have an offensive line uh, perform well. That's where it all starts up front. Uh, me being an offensive line guy, of course, uh, we pride ourselves in being able to run the football. Uh, struggled a little bit against Bowie in the first game. Uh, had some success against Georgetown, but didn't play any, playing four quarters is, is the one thing that we haven't done in either game, and that's the one thing that I want us to to find a way to do. Play four quarters of football, not two, not three, but four quarters, and uh, you know we won't have another stumble like we had uh, up against Georgetown, but uh, uh, we have a dynamic backfield. We have guys that can get it done. Sidney Wilkinson uh, is our, our number one back, and then here we got Michael Chris Ike, who's coming back after the 2019 season, of course, and then Thomas Bertrand, who took off in the spring, uh, uh, I mean, in, in 2019, and then came back in the spring and, and had a good spring for us as well. So we have a dynamic backfield, and, and you know, that's our that's our, our strength on our offense is to, is to run the ball and, uh, you know, throw it when we need to. How about defensively, Coach? Where do you feel the strength is on that side of the ball? It certainly seems like you've got some ball-hawking members of the secondary. What instantly jumped off the page for me was nine sacks and then five interceptions through just two games. Those guys are having fun. Uh, they are they are the leaders of the football team. There are more leaders on our defensive side than our offensive side. And uh, I am so proud of how they practice and the way they play is the way they practice. They are ball-hawks. In practice, they are trying to strip the ball. They are trying to take it out the sky. Whatever way they can do to get to make to create a turnover, that's what they've been doing. And they put a lot of pressure on our offense and our offensive line uh, to protect our quarterback. So it's no surprise to me those guys practice the way they play. Okay, Coach, you've looked at some film. You know what this ETSU team is capable of. You obviously know your program very well. What's the path to being in this game at the end with a chance to upset a nationally ranked program? Well, you got to stop their running back, okay? Quay Holmes is, is pretty dynamic. He is a special guy back there. Their offensive line probably one of the best that I've seen. I'm an offensive line guy. And I had to watch their film several times because 
not only did I have to break it down, but I enjoyed the way they bracketed mm-hmm. me, the way they played. They are, are very tough up front, man. They are they play my style of football, <laughs> and uh, it's going to be tough, and that's what I share with our defensive line. Uh, we're going to have to be able to find a way to stop, stop their running game. They run it, they run it, they run it, then they take their shots over the top, and Will Huzzy is a is a phenomenal uh, uh, receiver. Uh, he finds a way to make plays, whether it's a back shoulder throw. Uh, he can beat you deep. He's strong. He's big. He's fast. He has all the tools. So, and their quarterback is smart. He does a very very good job. Tyler Riddle, Riddell, I think his name. He does a great job of of managing the football game, making sure putting his players in the best position to make plays, and uh, con- kind of controlling that offense and controlling the clock. So. We're going to have to play our best football game uh, with these guys. And, you know, they, they have a good program. They're well-rounded on defense. Defense, they're very similar to us. You know, they, they're, they're ball hawks. They, they play through the whistle. Uh, they run fast. Uh, they're very strong up, up, up front. And they're going to pose some problems on us because, of course, we want to run the football. So we got our hands cut off for, the, for this East Tennessee State game, but we look forward to playing it on Saturday night. That's not only a great scouting report on your side, but on the Bucks too. Coach Milstead, thank you very much for taking the time, and we will see you on Saturday. Fantastic. Thank you. Head Coach Rod Milstead of Delaware State Football, a Super Bowl winner, hoping to come out victorious Saturday night at Green Stadium. All the Bucks will hope they're the ones walking away with a W to stay undefeated and move into conference play with a 3-0 and record. Again, really appreciate Coach Milstead going out of his way, being flexible, and giving us a few moments on a Thursday, right in the middle of when he's prepping for this game to join Sidekick and the Sandos week here on Sandos and the Sidekick. So next, Mystery Guest Summer Series continues. This man made headlines in a couple of ways this summer. We're going to focus on maybe the thing that got less attention, at least in terms of national coverage. He was with the Bucketeers in the TBT. But, again, item number one on his summer was making a bit of a career shift and a life change. We'll talk all about that with him. When we're back on Sidekick in the Sandos Week here on Sandos and the Sidekick. For over 75 years, Bright Ridge has powered our community, providing the energy to live, work, and play. And now we're looking ahead, investing in our community today, and building the infrastructure to power our community tomorrow. We're supporting zero-emission electric vehicles, harnessing the sun to provide clean, renewable community energy, and expanding into broadband services for our shared future. Bright Ridge, your community power, here for you. Trump. Trudeau. Trick Daddy. Tram, the insult comic dog. Who's next? I don't know what's going to happen. Secrets. Sandos and the Sidekick. We're not on air for the summer months. Usually that doesn't mean we miss a whole lot, but a number of Buck guests made big news this summer. And on our first few weeks of shows, we've caught up with Joe Hughley, Austin Herring, a couple of guys making moves over the last few months. And this week, our Mystery Guest Summer Series continues, much like Coach Joe, who we talked to last Thursday. He was a part of the Bucketeers, and we'll talk a bit about that. But he also announced his retirement from the Harlem Globetrotters. That's topic one in our chat with A.J. Merriweather, one of the greats of ETSU men's basketball. A.J., welcome. 
What's up, man? How you doing? It's great to have you on the show. I think this is your uh, debut on uh, Sidekick and the Sandos, as we're calling it this week. Sandos and the Sidekick, our podcast here at ETSU. And uh, it's a pleasure to have you. I know fans absolutely adore you here. Uh, every time you're in Johnson City, they want more of AJ. And so we're happy to be able to give it to him here on this Thursday. So let's go back to your Globetrotter days. When I heard that you signed with the Globetrotters, I had just gotten here. And I imagine this is something that you could do forever. It seemed like the ultimate gig, leaving college ball, going to be a Globetrotter, something that is so special and unique and really an exclusive club. And a few years later, you announced that you're done. Take us through the process of making that decision, AJ, and what went into that choice. Um, you know, I played four, four great years with the Globetrotters. Uh, I went to 45 states. Um, you know, I enjoy every day of it. Um, just with the circumstances of COVID and how it happened and how it uh, kind of hindered us from traveling as much. And, you know, during that time, I, well, I, during that time, I kind of ventured off and kind of did some entrepreneurial work of doing construction and building uh, several things. Uh, I've been doing construction concrete since I was a little kid, so it wasn't new to me, you know, but I never had that much time to devote to it. And uh, due to COVID, you know, uh, everything kind of shut down. So I kind of ventured off and started doing some work on my own and ended up starting my own concrete business and helping my dad with his concrete business. Next thing you know, all I was all I was thinking about was concrete. Hmm. You know, uh, all the gyms were shut down in the city. So uh, I always like to stay occupied. And it kind of just uh, kind of just went on from there. You know, I, I had a my dream was always to play professionally. And that's what I did, you know, for four long years. I don't say long years, four great years. And uh, and then my other green, uh, dream job was to be a contractor. And, you know, here I am. So it's kind of like I'm living part two of my uh, dream job. Hmm. That's so cool. You had some tweets that led on a bit about kind of where you were at with everything. And I'll just read a couple of them here. Quote, I feel like if I did the Globetrotters for the fame and clout, it would have been harder for me to retire. I did it for the love. Another one was I left with no regrets. And then another, life is about progression. Basketball will not be the greatest thing I've ever done, which I think is a super cool perspective. But going back to that first tweet, saying you did it for the love, and it sounds like to me, and please do correct me if I'm wrong, but that maybe you didn't love either the travel, the Globetrotters as an organization, or how things were going, the game of basketball maybe, since you chose to retire. Is any of that true, or am I reading that the wrong way? Well, uh, I mean, the travel and everything, you know, everyone, everyone like I would think of a, like a little kid, you know, uh, if a teacher asked them, what do you want to be when you grow up? And the kid says, you know, I want to travel. Um, you know, sometimes a person, well, Older, older person might be like, you know, that's, that's, that's not realistic. But honestly, that's what I did every day I traveled, and I loved it. Uh, at times, it was kind of overbearing, you know, missing your family and stuff, but that just come with traveling. Uh, I love everything about the Globetrotters. Uh, I love, I still love basketball. I still play from time to time. Uh, as you know, I play with the TBT. I still play. It's just uh, uh, being able to stop some, stop playing sports on your on your own time is a is a blessing that everyone doesn't get uh as you look at uh a lot of the pros you know uh some of them stop because of injuries or they got fired or in in some people cases COVID you know they just didn't have a, a job and to be able to stop on my own terms that was something that I always said I wanted to do and also I felt like it was a, it was a good transition going into construction you know, while people still uh, 
you know, hear my name, you know, still with the Globe Charters, you know, it's kind of smooth to transition, you know, uh, going into that. And, uh, man, all of that, like, you know, it just, I just felt like it was a good transition. And, uh, I mean, I'm happy with it. I love it, man. So look back on your time with the Globetrotters for us, AJ. What was a day in the life of being a Globetrotter like, and what was the most fun part? I, I think this will be a really fun peek behind the curtain for people <laughs> that wonder what it's like being a professional athlete and to live the life that you got to live for four years. Oh, man. Oh, the day-to-day of a Harlem Globetrotter. I'm going to start on a uh, – I'm going to start on a uh, – Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Monday, Tuesdays, Wednesdays are kind of all the same. So let's just say I start on a Wednesday. I wake up. Uh, I probably wake up probably nine o'clock. Uh, we'll probably travel to another city, probably two hours away. Uh, we we'll get to the city. We we'll get to the hotel. Check in. Uh, we'll probably have uh, probably an hour and a half, two hours to the early bus goes, which is staff. Uh, I always every day I went on the early bus, so I early bus, and then an hour later the Globe Charter and the opposing team bus will get there. Uh, we get there. We practice for about an hour. We go back to the locker room, prepare, we get ready for magic pass. Um, then it's game time. And after the game, we'll go back to our, to our hotels and uh, sleep. The next morning, you wake up again, 9 o'clock, next to, to the next city. So literally that's, what, five, six, seven days a week, like constant, get up. Go play yeah. ball. Go do a show. Go to sleep. Get up. Go play golf. Is that it? Like yeah, well, on those seven days? Yeah. Well, Fridays, the weekends are all are, were always uh, the toughest. You know, uh, they were the bigger cities. You know, Friday, we, uh, as I recall, uh, like one Friday we played at Texas. We drove in the. Te- we didn't have. We didn't stay. At, we played at Texas A&M. We didn't stay there after the game. We drove to Houston, Texas, hmm. and then next morning we had a game at. They usually at. One, one o'clock, and then we finish that game. We have another one at seven. Wow. Yeah. Then we stay the night, and then the next, the next Sunday we'll have another one at like twelve o'clock. So you're talking, you're talking four games in forty-eight hours. Which, it was a lot. Well, it's an absolute grind, which I imagine yeah. what you're doing now is a grind as well. But it seems like you really appreciate the grind. You like being on the grind, and you love to I work. Love to- yeah, work towards goals and make sure that you're staying busy. So you retire now. You've got your own company, which is an awesome thing in its own right. There's people that aspire to be business owners, and as you said, you've lived one dream: play basketball professionally. Now you're your own business owner, AJ Merriweather Construction. What's a day in the life what? like now? Um, the day in the life now, man, is 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 beautiful. It, it's beautiful. It reminds me of in the basketball sense. It reminds me of it reminds me of high school, and I say that because there's so many people trying to get to Division One, you know, with just the college period. That everybody are everybody's doing the little things, like um, you know, just going out their way. Uh, suppose you submit. People submitting a mix uh, tapes, you know, highlight tapes to different coaches and stuff like that. That's kind of how I am now. Like, man, I'm making business cards. I'm giving them out. I'm going to meet people. You know, I'm talking. I'm trying to, you know, uh, get myself out there. I got a radio ad. Uh, my girlfriend bought me a, a billboard. So it's kind of like high school trying to get to, you know, uh, Division One or college, you know. So it, it brings you back to that moment. I'm so competitive. I'm so competitive in it, you know, uh, just trying to, trying to perfect my craft and uh just get better every day 
Well, I know that everybody loves to see the success you had in basketball, and they love to hear that you've still got that dog in you that'll go out and every day fight and fight and fight to be the best. I think that's something that has transferred from one thing to another, which I know ETSU fans always appreciated about you, and it's still there, which I know people are so excited to hear. So speaking of excited, I'm sure ETSU and Bucketneer fans are excited for another run at the TBT title. Now, is that something you're considering, or are the shoes on the shelf and there's no lacing them back up? Look, that's what I was thinking when I when I was done with the Globe Trotters. Man, Dylan is the best GM there is. Dylan Rep is the best GM. Man, he almost begged me <laughs> to play because I it, it wasn't actually I was on the team. I ended up saying I was going to be a coach because I felt like I didn't play every day. I feel like I wouldn't give my spot to somebody, first of all, who needed an opportunity to get on the big stage, and also somebody who was, uh, I was committed, but somebody who was, you know, that's what, that's what, they, that's what pays the bills, you know, basketball. So um, I ended up being a, trying to be in the coach, and, man, they talked me out of it. All my, you know, teammates, they told me I should play this. So I, said my, I told myself if I play, I'm all in, you know. Uh, I'm all in, and, man, it's, since the day I, I got to Johnson City for practice, you know, that's all I was thinking was Buccaneers. So is there one more run next summer? Boy, y'all take me so fast, man. <laughs> Good God. I'm still, like, I'm still watching highlights from the TV. It's past you, the TVT, man. But, but uh, I, I would like to. You know, it just depends on where I am. Where I'm at in life. Uh, you know, uh, hopefully I'll be a bigger contractor and you get the – you have to go with pay the bills. And, but, you know, I, I always love any time I can play with my guys, you know, whether I'm, I'm, I'm 27 next year or whether I'm 47, you know, I'll, I'll probably try to, you know, do something with them, play with them, or at least be on the court with them in okay. some way. Okay, you still got some time. I won't press any more on that. You know I had to throw it out there. You know I had to. <laughs> I'm playing. I'm playing, man. What's the appealing thing about the life you're living now that won out over the life that you were living with the Globetrotters and for a short time, with the Buccaneers, are there things that you look now and say, this is why I'm doing this, and this is why that period of my life came to an end? Yeah. Um, it's a few reasons. And the first reason that, that I want to touch on is I've always been an inspiration to people uh, around me, not because I tried, just because that's just the way I that's just the, the role I always had. You know, even high school, I, I set example for my other teammates and younger players. Um, college, um, you know, I set example for people in my city. And then, you know, the Globe Charter, you can't even, you know, you just set so many examples. So, one, I wanted to be a rare case that uh, basketball won't be the best thing that I do. Like, you know, I was known as the basketball player, but not, I'm, as LeBron saying, I'm more than an athlete. I wanted to make that statement. Um, so that's one, uh, and and as I, I went to Lowe's today, and I got, I told him I retired. He said, man, you're too young to retire. I told him that's the beauty of it. You know, uh, you don't, I don't want to be a case that you don't, well, I want it to be a case that you don't have to uh, just limit yourself to basketball. And now looking at looking at myself uh, as a contractor, I do all the small things uh, 
all the small things, all the small jobs. I appreciate everything that comes with it. Uh, I wake up early. If I even if I don't even have a job that day, I wake up early and I drive the town. You know, I, I I'm up earlier than everybody. I'm looking, I'm watching, seeing what other people's doing. You know, just trying to be the best I can be because I don't want to take anything for granted. So speaking on basketball one more time, we're not going to push you on the plane again, but do you see basketball playing a role in your future? Would you like to do some coaching, mentoring, something along those lines, camps, when all is said and done? Um, uh, yeah, I could do some camps. I could do some camps. I'm not going to say I could do some camps for, you know, with my name on them, but I would love, always love to work camps for other people, you know, help volunteer for those. As far as coaching, I always say when I'm done with basketball, I'm done with it. You know, I don't want to keep dibbing and dabbing because um, I know the competitive, the competitiveness in me. You know, I'm gonna want to get out there and dunk. <laughs> and who know? I know. You know, I don't say I know, but I might not be able to dunk, but I'm gonna try. You know, just to make, just to get the crowd going or something. And I, I don't want to hurt myself. It, but uh, man, I'm happy. I'm content where I'm at, man. You know, just to. Even now, just to be able to be done with the Globetrotters but still have the ability, great health, to be able to play when I want to, you know. Uh, and I kind of learned a lot about myself. Uh, I never tried to prove myself to anybody. You know, even now, you know, uh, I could keep playing, keep playing, but I'm not trying to prove myself, you know. I'm not trying to prove that I still got it or anything. You know, I just love the game. That's why I still play. You're content, but I know you're also still hungry, and you took the time to join us. I want to make sure to give back to you on this because you gave to us. A.J. Merriweather Construction, go ahead and give us the pitch. A.J. Merriweather Construction, um, open 24 hours, 24 hours a day. You can call me anytime. I do concrete slabs, driveways, patios, you name it, I can do it. Um, just holler at me, give me a chance, and uh, thank you. Pleasure's Ryan. One of the ETSU greats, former Harlem Globetrotter, and now an entrepreneur, A.J. Merriweather. Thank you so much, A.J. Congratulations on the success you had, the success that's ahead, and we'll check in with you again soon, okay? Thanks, man. See you soon. A.J. Merriweather here on Sidekick and the Sandos Week on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Shohei Otani. I don't know if you heard this yet. He's going to pitch and hit. Mark it down there. Plus 10 ERA. Hit a buck twenty max. There's not a soul that can stop the big three in New Jersey. That's in five, baby. Literally, the last person on earth that should ever be considered for the U.S. national team is JaVale McGee. NIL stands for never in life, as in never in life will NIL be a real thing. No, you can't. You cannot show me one guy more dedicated to the university than Damari Monsanto. He will go down as one of the best to ever do it at ETSU. A newly fit Jay Sandoz will never scuff another drive in Johnson City Country Club. Senior Tour, here we come. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. A simple wrong would have done just fine. Jay Sandos as we jump into more predictions here in just a couple of minutes, but 
I don't know. I kind of miss you a little bit. You know, the energy ain't quite the same. Having you on the phone, I get you outside. You get to enjoy the beauty of your backyard and the squirrels running around, and it might be all right for you, you know. But I don't know. Here in studio with just the dim lighting and the turf on the walls and no person to join me physically here in the absurdity that is this show, it's just not the same. No, I'll say this. As much as I've laughed in and, you know, kind of enjoyed uh, being here, there's certainly, um, you've been around me enough, I, I enjoy my work and, and, and like being at work, and, you know, especially during the season and, you know, just uh, wanting to be a part of hopefully it's going to be a special football year. I mean, to, to come off the biggest win and to be stuck at home for a while is <laughs> certainly, certainly not ideal. Uh, I can assure you my wife is ready for me to go back to work. Um, and so uh, I can't wait to be in studio so that I can say stuff outlandish and just get a look at your face, even though you don't uh, necessarily respond the same way uh, on air, but just watching your facial reactions to some of my outlandish takes is what I miss. All right, that's, uh, that's nice and wholesome. Let's move on to bold predictions, which are never wholesome, and unfortunately for me, they've been even less wholesome than for Jay. He has one correct so far over the couple of weeks I have. None. He leads, let's see, one season to zero seasons to two ties, and so I'm trying to tie it up. That is, that is, that is correct. I believe that's, well, uh, thankfully I've uh, got the studio and the microphone here, so I believe if the sidekick uh, is going to rule the roost as he does this week, he's going to dictate. When you're back, we can physically spar over it. But uh, one prediction this year to none, Jay is uh, ahead. He's got the upper hand. I think I have some predictions this week that will hopefully draw me even. I took a couple of bad losses last week. I'll go ahead and let you start, Jay. I know you've had nothing but time to look over bold predictions, so I'm expecting some jaw-dropping, gobsmacking ones this week. Well, I think defensively for ETSU, they're going to hold the Hornets to under 250 yards and force a couple of turnovers. I'm going defensive as well. The Bucks have allowed seven points or less six times. Since football has returned seven points or less for a seventh time with a number of, it sounds like, starters that are going to be back on the defensive side of the ball. Obviously, Donovan Manuel will be missing for that first half. Uh, Coach Sanders did mention that Mike Price did get a little shaken up late on in the game. That was something that I didn't really uh, even notice, quite honestly, simply because all the attention was on the Mike Price hit that almost got him ejected. But he did get shaken up in the second half. Tyree Robinson didn't play in the second half either. It does sound like those two are going to be back, and Donovan Manuel will be back for the second half. This Delaware State team, uh, I'm just not sure that they're going to be able to match up when it comes to the, um, as we were talking about earlier, just the technique and the things that are hammered into their head every day by really top-level football coaches. And this is nothing against Coach Milstead. We appreciate him joining us. This program just I don't think is at the maturation point that ETS uses um, here in the seventh season of football being back. Seven points or less allowed by the Bucks, Jay Sanders. I like it. I like it. I'm going to stick in the Southern Conference, um, and hopefully it's under seven. Hopefully it's under 250. Hopefully it's a couple of turnovers, and everyone's right on that one, and we move on. But Southern Conference, I'm going to shock you. I think this one, you know, if you're going to go bold, you go bold. Western and, uh, Carolina. It's got to be. Ooh, no. Okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> this is the week that, that you know Sanford will accidentally win before laying another egg. Um, by the way, when ETSU plays Sanford, they're actually, I don't know if uh, – talk about this year about we'll talk about more next week but they're actually going to ring they're going to name the field after bobby bowden i didn't know that halftime of the game at ETSU. so we'll talk about that next week as well um but i am going southern conference and teams that have played each other a lot meaningful games meaning playoff games and this is why 
I'm going to buy in on Josh Conklin for one week. Oh, come on. And they are going to be, they are actually, I just looked up, they are a road underdog at home. Kennesaw State, I think, has a three-game winning streak versus uh, Wofford and all of them in the playoffs. And so I'm going to say that the streak ends and Southern Conference will reign supreme, at least on that day, and the Wofford Terriers will accidentally figure out a way to win. Well, you know I love to hate Kennesaw State, so that pick for me is fantastic. Uh, I think the only thing, and you can come up with something uh, to join this category, but the only thing for me that ETSU has not done as a football program since they've been back at this point is beaten Wofford. Is there anything else that you join in that? Uh, no, that, that's correct. Made yeah, the playoffs, won a title. Yes, it, it would be beaten. That's the only team in the league they have. Not beaten, and I felt like ETSU had the upper hand last year, and unfortunately, Wofford uh, was decimated in the defensive line with opt-outs and COVID. And at one time, I think they only had one defensive lineman that was active. So, uh, and you know, ETSU would have had the advantage, uh, or not the advantage, they would play at Wofford, so they do get the advantage of playing Wofford at home this year. And you know, I think this is the year that streak ends as well. Beaten every other Southern Conference team, moved football on campus, built a new stadium, made the playoffs, won a championship. I mean, it's incredible the amount that's been accomplished. That one little thing is Wofford. So that may be bad news if they beat Kennesaw State for what I think Buck fans are excited to have happen this year, which is ETSU beating Wofford. That would show that the Terriers maybe are, quote-unquote, back a little bit. But like you, I'm going to hope that that's maybe only a, a one-time, one-week thing, and then we can – move on and you can keep hating Josh Conklin. Uh, I'm going to the national scene on college football. James Franklin, one foot out the door to USC. It's Auburn's first road game against a Big Ten team in 90 years. It's a win for the Tigers by two scores or more in Happy Valley.
Cowboy up and go play ball.